It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, August 9th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. A federal judge has ordered PG&E to explain its role in potentially starting the Dixie Fire. Then, what it's like to win a medal at an Olympics during a pandemic, tonight on the California Report. And in national native news, the U.S. Senate confirms Brian Newland as Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before Sid Brown takes us for a walk in the park to close out our newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The Dixie Fire burning in four Northern California counties, Plumas, Butte, Lassen, and Tehama, is now the second largest fire in California history. The blaze has scorched more than 489,000 acres, burned more than 600 homes and other structures, and leveled much of the small town of Greenville. According to the Plumas County Sheriff's Department, four people from Greenville have been reported missing. The fire, which started in mid-July, has also forced thousands of people to evacuate their homes. Jake Cagle with the U.S. Forest Service says firefighters continue to try to build containment lines, particularly east of where the fire is burning. As you guys have all seen this extreme fire behavior, uh, all we can do is get out in front of this thing and see where we can connect the dots. There's a lot of dozer lines left over from the sheep fire, so these will help us connect these dots and get them into the walker fire as well so we're really focusing on this effort just to keep it out of janesville four firefighters have also been injured fighting the blaze although only one remains hospitalized as of this morning the dixie fire is about 21 percent contained over the weekend weather conditions as well as smoke from the fire helped firefighters in their battle against the blaze the smoke provided shade which helped to cool temperatures although it also prevented planes and helicopters from helping with the firefight overhead much of that smoke started clearing sunday and crews today are expected to once again face dry, hot conditions. Although the extreme red flag conditions that helped the fire spread rapidly over the last week are not in the forecast. And a federal judge has ordered the utility Pacific Gas and Electric to explain its role in potentially starting the Dixie Fire. Judge William Alsup, who has been overseeing PG&E's criminal probation, wants video and additional details from drone operations conducted over the forest on the day the Dixie Fire started. The company has until August 16th to comply. PG&E filed a report with state regulators last month, notifying them that CAL FIRE is inspecting its equipment as the possible cause of the Dixie Fire. A tree came in contact with a PG&E power line near where the fire is believed to have started. The utility's equipment has been responsible for several wildfires in Northern California in recent years, including the state's deadliest, the Camp Fire in 2018. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care, on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement.
The Tokyo Olympics wrapped up this past weekend with the U.S. leading in the overall medal count. One of those medals was won by Brian Burroughs from San Diego County. He got a bronze for trap shooting. And Brian joins us now. What was your Olympic experience like? Uh, Life-changing, honestly. Uh, It's just one of those crazy trips where you go, uh, you leave, and you come back, and you've accomplished something that you've worked on for your entire life, and... It still hasn't really fully hit me, but it's uh, it's been a good couple of weeks. Has there been a single minute that's gone by, honestly, where you haven't thought to yourself, hey, I'm an Olympic medalist? Actually, there's a bunch of minutes where I forget that I am, and then I look over and I see it or I feel it in my pocket because it never leaves my side now. And uh, I'm like, wow, I medaled at the Olympics. Kind of surprises me. Let's talk about the Olympic Games and COVID. These Olympics were staged at a very bizarre time in world history and public health history. Did that affect it in any substantial way for you? Did you think you had a strange Olympics? Did you had you think you had something less than a normal Olympics? I don't know about less than normal Olympics, but it was different than what I thought it would be. From the respect where there was no crowd, there was no... Nobody was cheering. There's nobody in the stands. You know, you think about when you, you're you on the podium and you raise your hand and you're super excited and you look out into, you know, a screaming crowd and all that energy that you're feeding off of. And we just didn't really have that. You know, there's maybe 10 people in the stands. So that was different. And there's cameras all around, which was great because my family and friends got to experience that with me. But It was just different in that sense. It was quiet. And how about life back in the Olympic Village? Were you able to meet other athletes, both from the U.S. and from other countries? Do you think you had a good amount of interaction with with other people competing there? Um, For the most part, uh, the countries and the teams kept to themselves. And, you know, it's fair enough, too. You know, every person is a potential to take you out of the Olympics. You know, if you test positive, they test positive. So I definitely got to spend some time with some of the other U.S. athletes, water polo, baseball, things like that. But the other countries, outside of going to the shooting range, we didn't really get to spend too much time with the other countries, which I think is different from past Olympics. I know you're still wrapping your head around the experience. You're still in the afterglow of it all. But but what do you think happens? How does this change your life in the coming days, weeks, months, even years? Have, have you thought about that a bit? Well, they say once you're an Olympian, you're an Olympian forever. Uh, there are no past Olympians. So I've entered into a fraternity of sorts as part of the Olympic, you know, being part of the Olympics. And there's different events and there's a whole, I guess, society of Olympians. So that's one way that my life, I guess, has changed. But just being able to tell my family, friends, my kids, my grandkids, and show them that I went to the Olympics and I medaled, I think it's just going to be, you know, a change to my life forever. And maybe open some doors that wouldn't otherwise be open. But it's just fun to experience and share that, that moment and the, an Olympic medal with other people. You know, I try not to like show it off, but I do want to like show people like, hey, this is what a medal looks like because not many people have held one or seen one. So um, I definitely like to show other people what it's all about. 
All right, that was Brian Burroughs, Olympic bronze medalist in trap shooting for the United States. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. And more importantly, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. And that is the California Report for Monday, August 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. This is National Native News. I'm Trip Cross in for Antonia Gonzalez. On Saturday, the U.S. Senate confirmed the nomination of Brian Newland to Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs. Newland is the former president of the Bay Mills Indian Community based in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. A major step recently in advancing the Métis peoples of Manitoba right to self-government. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, the province's Métis Federation has signed a recognition and implementation agreement. The deal recognizes the Métis of Manitoba people's right to self-government. It also recognizes the Federation's authority over citizenship, leadership selection, elections, and the running of their government on behalf of the Métis of Manitoba. It's a step that lays out what happens next to recognize the MMF as an indigenous government under Canadian law. David Chartrand, the president of the MMF, says justice is now being achieved and it's something his people have fought for. We've always been a government and no one will ever take that from us. We are the only truly recognized government province-wide in this country of Canada. That is a powerful statement being made by Canada. This is a legal, legitimate document. And I hope, I hope that every party listening out there, I ask you now, if you're going to challenge this agreement, challenge it now. But not all are as satisfied as Chartrand. The Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs says Ottawa did not consider the implications to the inherent and treaty rights of First Nations. As the original treaty partners of the Crown, they argue First Nations have yet to be given the right to self-governance. Chief Arlen Duma says Canada has now clearly signaled it prioritizes the Métis over First Nations, people who claim rights and land that have existed long before the Métis came to be. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. This summer, Canada closed most of British Columbia's commercial salmon fisheries. Declining stocks were to blame for the drastic conservation measures. As KSTK's Sage Smiley reports, Southeast Alaska shares coastline and transboundary rivers with BC. So what could this mean for the region? Department of Fisheries and Oceans Canada, the federal agency that manages Canada's fisheries, effectively ended the 2021 commercial salmon season on the West Coast in late June. Canada's fishing industry was stunned, says BC Seafood Alliance Executive Director Christina Burridge. First Nations have harvested salmon forever, and post-contact salmon canneries are what, what in a sense, built this province. And... To be now in this situation seems really tragic to me. The closure came just weeks after Canada announced a more than half a billion dollar plan to revitalize its flagging Pacific salmon stocks in BC and Yukon Territory. So what does Canada's salmon shutdown mean for its Alaska neighbors? From a marketing standpoint, not much, says McKinley Research Analyst Dan Lesh in Juneau. Alaska dwarfs BC. And so anything that happens in those markets is not going to be a big impact on our, our fisheries. BC's largest wild salmon market is Chinook, about 14% of the global market in recent years. But its shares of the other four salmon species represent less than 2% of worldwide production. State fisheries managers say BC's experience isn't likely to be repeated in Alaska. Drastic measures like widespread closures aren't in the nature of Alaska's dynamic management, where biologists can time openings at will. 
U.S. states and Canadian provinces work cooperatively to co-manage transboundary salmon runs through the Pacific Salmon Treaty. But the Canadian government says the shutdown on their end likely won't affect current allocations, as the treaty won't be renegotiated until 2028. For National Native News in Wrangell, Alaska, I'm Sage Smiley. Celebrated artist and Cherokee National Treasure Lorraine Drywater died July 30th. She was 89. Drywater was known for her buffalo grass dolls and as an expert seamstress of traditional clothing. For National Native News, I'm Trip Krause. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous population. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. This show is supported by the FX original series, Reservation Dogs. From Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi, Reservation Dogs follows the adventures of four indigenous teens in rural Oklahoma. Reservation Dogs, now streaming exclusively FX on Hulu. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In regional news today, an update on the river fire. Containment was last reported at 68%. Expected full containment is Friday, August 13th. The fire destroyed 66 residential structures, two commercial buildings, and 20 other structures. 20 structures were damaged. This from CAL FIRE. UBINET reports, today residents with passes within the River Fire perimeter were allowed back into evacuated areas at 1 p.m. Nevada County hosted a re-entry center today from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. at Bear River High School. The primary purpose of this event was to inform residents of damages to their property and issue a pass that would allow homeowners to return to their properties in areas still closed to the public. Law enforcement will be patrolling in the closed areas and checking for entry passes. If residents with fire losses were unable to attend today, the Nevada County Sheriff's Office will be issuing entry passes at the Rood Center in Nevada City, Tuesday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Fire personnel are still active in both Placer and Nevada counties. Please reduce speeds and drive with caution. The body of a 30-year-old Grass Valley man was discovered last week in a Placer County canal with his feet bound together, the Placer County Sheriff's Office said Monday. The man was only partially clothed and despite not possessing identification, the Sheriff's Office was able to identify the person. His name has not been released. The man's body had been in the canal for at least a week, leading authorities to determine he was not a river fire victim. Quote, We're treating it as a suspicious death, end quote, said Public Information Officer Lieutenant Nelson Resendez. The body of the man was discovered by a PG&E crew that had been clearing water grades around noon Friday. This from the Union of Grass Valley. According to California's Open Data Dashboard, Nevada County had its highest weekly COVID-19 case count this past week. The county averaged a 51.4 case rate per day. Quote, There has been a substantial increase in COVID-19 patients coming to the hospital, which have resulted in more admissions, said Dr. Brian Evans, the CEO of Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital. Quote, 
Our winter peak was 15 hospitalized patients, and we have now seen numbers as high as 29 in the last few days. The substantial majority of admissions for COVID are unvaccinated individuals. Nationally unvaccinated patients make up well over 90% of admissions. At Sierra Nevada, we are having a similar experience. If you haven't received your COVID vaccination, I strongly encourage you to do so. End quote. This reported by Ubinet. 612 PG&E customers on Bitney Springs and Newtown Road are currently without power. 903 PG&E customers in Lake Wildwood have suffered an outage as well. And now for regional weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 65. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 95. Current air quality is moderate with an AQI of 80. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread haze and smoke with a low around 51. Tomorrow, widespread haze and smoke as well with a high near 87. Current air quality is moderate with an AQI of 90. The National Weather Service has issued a warning for hazardous weather conditions for the Truckee Tahoe region. Wildfire smoke from the Dixie Fire and other wildfires west of the Sierra will continue to produce smoke and haze. Air quality impacts will likely persist and get much worse by Tuesday morning. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear with a low around 62. Tomorrow, sunny and hot with a high near 100. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 47. Tomorrow, unhealthy for sensitive groups with a potential AQI of 101. Next, we take our bi-weekly walk in the park with Sid Brown. Sid reminds us of state park gems of wisdom, such as when a parking lot is full, it means the river is at capacity. And please, for the love of all that is holy, no fires and no smoking. It's been a week, huh? Um, Fire and smoke, pandemic, all of the above. Lots of things to be thankful for. And of course, particularly important to be thankful for our natural environment and thankful for those who have fought so diligently and valiantly to keep the fire as as limited, the river fire we're talking about, as it has been. Unfortunately, that fire did start in a campground, is my understanding, on the Bear River, and very concerned and, and sorrowful for the impacts that that has created for our community here in Nevada County, as well as Placer County. Down at South Yuba River State Park, the Independence Trail off of Highway 49, the western segment, is still closed, and that's due to the Jones Bar fire that we had a year ago. The river is open. People are still recreating, and we do want to remind everyone to remember no fires, no briquettes, no campfires, no warming fires, no barbecues. Would really prefer no smoking. This is just not the time to introduce any kind of um, threat for fire in our very dry vegetation areas. We are very grateful to the River Ambassadors' partnership with California State Parks and South Yuba River Citizens League. And those River Ambassadors are doing a wonderful job at Bridgeport, Purden, and Highway 49 on the weekends. They're 
giving messaging and information, uh, handing out bandanas, providing information, and encouraging people to be responsible uh, stewards of our public lands to pick up and not leave any trash and to park in the designated parking areas and do not park on dry grass. Again, I've said this before, but when the parking lots are full, that means the river is at capacity. So if there's no good place to park and you see a no parking sign and you want to park underneath it, please don't do that. We need to have our emergency vehicles able to access wherever they need to be. Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park is open. The campground is open with reservations made in advance. I believe there's a 48-hour minimum reservation window, but Malakoff Diggins is one of the most beautiful little state park treasures we have available to us, and it's a great place for hiking and trails, and there's a sweet little visitor center and historic buildings to, to see. Um, we have a couple of events that I'd like to alert you to coming up at Empire Mine. Also, we anticipate having a educational interpretive presence at the Nevada County Fair. So if you want to learn more about any of these three state historic parks or the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation, come visit the folks that will be at the fair. And then the special events that we have coming up at Empire Mine State Historic Park is a Heritage Rose event where we will have 49 rose plants that have been propagated from the historic and heirloom roses at Empire Mine State Historic Park. And we will have a donation requested of $20 per one-gallon rose and uh, one rose plant per family. And then coming up on August 28th, we'll be welcoming our families and community back to the very popular Miners Picnic event. And that will be at Empire Mine State Historic Park from 11 to 4. Take a blanket and spread it out on the lawn. There'll be some live music, hopefully um, a few other items, a couple of food vendors available, but don't rely on them to provide your food. Bring your own food, bring your own reusable containers. Try to keep your physical presence to a minimum as far as any waste materials, uh, maybe bring your own trash home. But we really do hope you'll join us at Empire Mine State Historic Park for Miner's Picnic. I hope we will have some blue skies and you can come back to the parks and take a nice hike and we'll see what's happening next time. You can listen to an extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Park Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Come say hi to the Sierra Gold Park Foundation at their booth at the county fair and learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. That's our newscast for tonight, Monday, August 9th, 2021. KVMR gets support from Hansen Brothers Enterprises since 1953, offering bulk and bagged soils, amendments, and fertilizers for gardening needs. 
Also, excavation, paving, underground utilities, and site work services for public, private, and commercial enterprises. GoHBE.com and Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Stick around. At 6.30, it's the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. Tonight, two experts give background on restoration techniques and gender discrimination problems in areas like getting formal deeds and farm loans. Then, at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.